Praise the Lord. It's good to be here with you on this Wednesday night. I'm going to get right into what the Lord's laid on my heart here because i got a lot of ground to cover and i got a short time to get there, so I'm about to talk really fast. So it's good to be here with you. Uh, what I want to talk about is we're living in our nation now as divided as we've ever been in a nation. Two people can no longer have opinions and they can no longer disagree agreeably. If you, have a, if you disagree with someone anymore, there's no room for debate or nothing. It's just you've got to be right or they've got to be right. And there was a time in our country we could sit down with two, two different opinions and we could disagree agreeably. But our disagreements have greatly divided our nation. And we as a church have got to be careful that we don't allow that same thing to come into the church. We've got to learn how that we can, because we can, if we're human and you're with people, one thing's going to happen, you're eventually going to have disagreements. But we've got to learn how to have disagreements that don't destroy and don't divide. Disagreement is wrong only if it divides or destroys relationships. Have you ever heard these statements? A divided house can't stand. United we stand, divided we fall. Together we can make a difference. You watch my back, I'll watch yours. Till death do us part. Just the two of us, we're inseparable. When you hurt, I hurt. And stand by your man. No greater love has this than to lay down your life for your friends. All these statements, all these quotes, all these scriptures, and all these song titles emphasize the importance of friendships and relationships and partnerships. There is too much schism in the body of Christ. And we have got to find a way through God's loving grace to be able to, to come together as a body and find a way to agree together that doesn't cause division. The emphasis in all those quotes are about the importance of a friendship, a relationship, or a partnership. Showing there is strength in numbers. Scripture, how good is it for brothers to dwell in unity? And how is important they are to making of accomplishments and achieving things? They all have a couple important ingredients that are necessary. Number one, there's more than one person involved that it takes at least two to have a relationship, a friendship, or a partnership. In the power of agreement... It takes all parties involved to be in agreement to achieve and accomplish and to be productive in any relationship, in any friendship, or any partnership you're going to be in. There is power in agreement. But unfortunately, there's people who struggle with friendships, being, being wounded by relationships, or been made bitter by partnerships. And they have felt rejected. They have been alienated and have not accomplished anything in their life. And they live very lonely lives. And the main ingredient in those situations is the power of disagreement. Because, you know, it takes two to quarrel. It's where at least two couldn't see eye to eye, which in return has led to dissolving of friendships, dissolutions of marriages, destructions of partnerships, schisms in the body of Christ that were intended to be successful, but due to living in a disagreement have brought failures. Families have been broken over disagreements not resolved. Best friends have parted ways, and they're now enemies. Partnerships have dissolved. What once had the potential to be something great now only is a, is a bitter memory to some. This is serious stuff. We have the power to choose to either to live in agreement or to live in disagreement. We can choose blessing or we can choose cursing. We have to find a way to agree to succeed, to disagree agreeably, and learn how to have conflict. I do a lot of marriage counseling. One of the biggest things I see in those marriage counseling sessions is the fact that people do not know how to have conflict. Let me assure you, you will have conflict. 
Being married, at some point in your marriage, you will have conflict. And the key to it is you have to know how to have conflict. Does it always, that it doesn't always end destruction or dissolving a relationship. The very relationships people want in their lives and often the relationships they unintentionally sabotage. A man that wants a better relationship with his wife often does things that drives her away from him. And a single woman seeking, seeking Mr. Right often does the wrong things that result in the breakdown of the relationship. Now tonight, I put together a short message that instructs you on what to do, listen closely, what to do to lose friends, to alienate people, and accomplish nothing. I'm going to come to you with a very different perspective tonight. Not what to do, but what to do to lose friendships. To show you the power of disagreement versus the power of agreement. And I'm going to teach you from a very odd perspective tonight. It's going to be a very sarcastic approach. Now, I'm going to say it again because it's important. You, did you hear that I said it's going to come from a very sarcastic approach? Otherwise, when I get to talking, you may be choosing another church because of the way I'm going to deliver this thing. I'm going to teach how to lose friends. I'm going to teach you how to alienate people and accomplish nothing. Now, that is a different perspective you don't often hear in the church. I'm going to point out things you can do to cause you to lose friends, to relieve you of the burden of having trying to maintain relationships with people. Because after all, trying to maintain relationships or friendships can be very time-consuming, can't they? And they require so much out of you. And we just don't have time for it anymore, right, guys? Okay, then. Because trying to be a friend or build a relationship just requires too much as they aren't willing to give. Now, to accomplish this act of dissolving friendships, alienating people, and accomplishing nothing, you've got to develop some creative ways to live in disagreement with as many people as possible. Otherwise, you'll never find yourself alone and free of people. So if you remain creative and disagreeing, You'll alienate people, and in doing so, people will not want to be in your world or around you or even in your life. And wow, what a relief that would be to not have to deal with friends. So write this stuff down. When you do this, you'll be on your way to accomplishing absolutely nothing. Now, let's view living in a disagreement. This is where a lot of people want to live. You say, no, they don't. Then why are so many people living there? Holding grudges, bad attitudes, bad tempers, bitter, unforgiving. Well, here's some pointers that will assure a life of disagreement that will cause you to lose friends, alienate people, and accomplish nothing. Number one, you've got to major in the minors. You must concentrate on the petty, insignificant things that are happening at home, work, and church. You have to concentrate on those things. You have to endorse and represent them, make sure all are aware of them. If they don't see them, don't let these little things hide. Focus simply on the negative. Talk about them. Get your church directory out and call people. Make sure they're aware of all them little things going on in the church. If they haven't seen or heard about them yet. Oh, and yes, add a lot of drama. Speak dramatically. Even if it takes a little exaggerating things a little bit, you've got to learn to make a big deal out of those little things. Make the insignificant significant, no matter how small they appear. I want to show you something. Many of you may never seen or saw this before. Stephen, would you put this up? That big dude right there is actually a little bitty old dust mite. Well, I thought you couldn't see them. You can't with the naked eye. But this picture 
has been blown up and magnified 2,000 times their normal size. Now that small thing looks a whole lot more significant. That creature needs to be dealt with now that I see it. See, all these years I've been ignoring them things. I'm, I'm like somebody called the Terminex man now. They're very small, tiny creatures, and they live anywhere humans live. We probably got some of them crawling on us right now. Everybody do this. Ooh. Ooh. They have a maximum lifespan of 80 days. On the average, most live only about 30 days. They're creamy white in color. So small you can't see them without magnification. Did you know they say there can possibly be one million of them in one square foot of carpet? Some of you are going to be shopping for laminate flooring this weekend. After pointing this out to you, right? They say a dust mite can lay about 25 eggs every three weeks. They feed on organic material, but mostly they feed on dead skin that we shed. Yes, we shed. Our skin replaces itself every single month. Did you know that 70% of the dust in your house is dead skin that is flaked off? That's some good stuff, ain't it? <laughs> dust mites are found in furniture, bed covers. Yes, you do sleep with them. They're found in clothes and cloth tags and pillowcases and mattresses. I show this example and say all this to say, one more time, wipe your arms. Good night. Whew. If you want to make sure you form no valuable relationships in your life, then you focus on the dust mites of life. Those tiny, insignificant things, blow them up, expose them, because they are dust mites in every single relationship. You want to dissolve a marriage? Constantly bring up the little things of the past, the little failures. And where there is people, there are dust mites. We all have them in our lives. So my advice to you, if you want to live in a life of disagreement, you have to not focus on the other stuff people aren't seeing because it's not big enough. Isn't that what we do in the church? Expose everyone's dust mites? That's why we can't get along with each other. We know every little thing about everyone, and therefore we have division and schism in the church because someone just had to point out their dust mites. See, you can be going along in life successful, and someone out of jealousy or bitterness or revenge exposes a dust mite in your life and magnifies it to the point it causes destruction to your success. Then it doesn't matter at all the wonderful things you've accomplished. You know, we'd always say in the grocery business, you can have 10 attaboys, but one oh no wipes all them boys out. Oh, and make sure you make a mountain out of a mohill. You know, you got to be Sherlock Holmes. You know, where you dig in and find the stuff no one else sees about people. You know, that small, insignificant stuff, the negative stuff, the stuff that's not going right as if there is a reward for you discovering it. Brother Charles could be winning 100 people a year to the Lord. And someone will say, yeah, but did you know he has a son strung out on drugs? Make sure you make that kind of information available. If you will major in the minors, you'll live in disagreement. Don't focus on all the great stuff going on, but focus on that little minute stuff. If you will, I guarantee, I promise you, you will repel people, you'll alienate people, and you can stop a lot of things from being accomplished. Now, there's a certain skill involved in doing this. You must be negative, you must be manipulative, and feel inferior. 
But once you get going, you'll draw a lot of attention to the little petty things. Oh, and also don't forget to always discuss the hearsay. Doesn't matter if it's true. It just matters if someone said it even anonymously. Watch the news. Just say it. Say what's being said. Make sure everyone's aware of it. If someone's told you something, pass it on immediately. Don't spend time trying to validate it, folks. Hey, if it's hot off the press, be the first one to tell it. I'm not sure what the reward is for it, but surely there's got to be one because so many people are rushing to be the first one to say so. If nothing else, you'll get self-gratification that you were the one who destroyed someone's career integrity or reputation. Talk about the he said, she said stuff. Hey, focus on the stuff like that all day long because, folks, it is out there. You just got to be willing to listen to everything and everyone. Hey, get connected with the gossip corners. Find them and fit in. Don't be left out. Don't be the only one who doesn't know or the last one to always know. Don't spend all your time talking about important things, successful things either, or exhorting someone. Don't make them greater than you. You don't want people to believe they're any better than you are. Don't talk about the powerful words the pastor said Sunday. Talk about the ones he mispronounced. Don't. <laughs> oh, help me. I may need a new job. <laughs> Don't spend time talking about the needs of others or how I can be a blessing to someone or how I can be a part of the solution instead of the problem. That is not your job. Because if you spend your time on all the positive stuff, I warn you, you'll end up creating partnerships and building relationships and accomplishing wonderful things. But then in return, you'll have to put up with all these friends. Then you'll have to attend all these fellowships. And the responsibilities that will be added to your life and the accountability it will require, it's going to be overwhelming to you. It's so much easier to do nothing than to be alone, folks. You don't have time for all that junk, do you? It's so much easier if you'll just disagree. If you want to talk to walk in disagreement, lose friends, alien people, accomplish nothing, you must insist on always being right. Don't you compromise for someone else's sakes or you'll destroy your plan to disagree. And you might actually accomplish something. Stand strong on this one. You're right. You know it all. Make them change their mind. Oh, and remember this one too. If people don't agree with you, just talk louder. Get that big voice of yours to dominate the disagreement. It's a great manipulative tactic to use. You ever seen people like this? Always start yelling when they feel they're losing. They get loud and they start shouting. They believe, hey, if you're not agreeing with them, you must not be hearing them. So they just turn up the volume on you. And whatever you do, don't ask questions. Don't be a good listener. Remember, you know it all. They have nothing to tell you to make a difference. Remember, like-mindedness leads to friendships and partnerships. So be careful or you'll find yourself agreeing. And you know what that does? It always accomplishes something and you don't want that. So talk louder and don't listen. What will happen when we listen? People will spend time, want to start spending time with you and you'll learn in the progress. So we have to be careful about listening. Don't do a lot of it. What you want to do is take your position on the issue as quick as you can 
with a little knowledge or awareness as you can and dig in your heels and insist on being right always. You got to handle it like a shootout at the OK Corral. Don't you back up, stand and shoot. You got to hold your ground, hang in there, die on that hill if you have to. Take that position quickly, if, even if you don't have all the facts. You don't need everyone else's viewpoint. Just your opinion is all you need to win. Now, I know by now I may be annoying some of you with this sarcasm, but I'm just trying to help someone stay on the path of disagreement to where you're losing friends and you're alienating people and you're accomplishing nothing and you're living lonely. You just have to keep on doing what you're doing. Man, when the battle comes, who cares about the war? Focus on the battle right now. Stand your ground. Win the argument, whatever it takes. Men, don't let her win. Who cares about how she feels? Who cares if she won't trust you anymore? Who cares if she won't believe you love her anymore? Who cares about her feelings anyway? Shout louder. Put her in her place. Insist on always being right. Let's be men. Be bold. Let's win at all costs. And the fact that your spouse and your children are turning away from you doesn't matter. Remember, it's all just about you being right. Your manly pride is at stake. You can't exist without it. <laughs> this is fun right here. You men don't know what to say. <laughs> They're like, do I say amen or do I say, oh, no. <laughs> men, <laughs> make sure you don't read the book, How to Influence People. Concentrate what I'm telling you. I know this is a big sarcastic approach. I know some don't need help in this area. Probably thinking, I don't need to hear this tonight. I learned this a long time ago all by myself. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here, though. You can testify that what I'm telling others, that this thing of disagreement really does work. Amos 3 and 3. Do two walk together unless they agree to do so? Apply that to today's world. Do two people ride in a car together unless they agree to go to the same place? They can't both get in a car. And if one wants to go to St. Louis... And one wants to go to Memphis and get anywhere if we can't agree on where to go. A spirit of agreement is an essential if two people are going to go anywhere together. And if it's your goal to go it alone, then you want to make sure you live in a disagreement with as many people as possible. Then you can go anywhere you want to go anytime you want all by yourself. Disagree with everyone you possibly can about everything you possibly can is a sure way to lose those friends alienate people, accomplish nothing, and live lonely. Remember, major and the minors insist on always being right. Here's another one for you. Have a do not disturb sign on your life. If you do this right, your body language and your facial expressions will send a clear message to people that you're content to not greet them or meet them, and they may not want to take the risk of approaching you. How many of you know how to do that? Know how to give that look that says, Stay away. I'm having a bad day. I could care less. I don't like you. Don't speak to me. Those expressions will keep people away from you all the time. And whatever you do, don't speak to others first. The Bible says if a person would want to have friends, he must show himself friendly. So if you don't want to have to deal with having friends, don't speak to no one. Don't you dare act friendly. You might attract a crowd. And we have people all the time that say, people won't pick me. People don't ask me to go eat. People don't ask me over. I can't find a job. Duh. You want to know why? Get rid of the sign. 
<laughs> that look, those actions that say, stay away. Don't believe you got it? Go home, get yourself a mirror, stare at it, and be honest with yourself. What does your sign say? Can't get a job as a receptionist? Well, I want to tell you about that job. First impression is very important. You can't go in there with a bulldog face and have it be a greeter. <laughs> Jeez, help me. <laughs> don't be a yes person. You don't want to do that. There's enough yes people all around. Take pride in finding areas of disagreement with people in authority. Don't you ever submit to authority. Although the Bible says we are to, who cares what it says? Don't submit to that authority either. You start submitting to authority, next thing you know, they'll want to promote you. And then you'll end up with a bigger and a better job. But just think of all the added responsibilities you will have. D, you'll have a career. You'll spend 20 years at the same place. You'll retire at 40. And with a pension, who wants that? Acts 15, 36 and 39. When Barnabas didn't agree with Paul's decision to let Mark go along, he let Paul know it. He stood his ground. Never mind what it cost him because Paul was his superior. Barnabas had been a partner on some of Paul's most productive mission trips. But after that disagreement, we don't hear any more about him being a part of anything kind of significant work. Hey, but he can't be accused of being a yes man, though. If your superior, your boss, demands something of you and you don't like it, let him know it right quick. And if he don't like it, quit. Sure, the grass is greener on the other side. There's a place you can work. I'm sure that's free of authority, I'm sure. And if you find it, let me know, because you just made a miraculous discovery. Remember that you have been hurt, and you're easily hurt by people. Remember, you're a victim. It's the same principle as leaving a splinter in your finger. Make sure you wear your emotions on your shoulders. Remember, you've been hurt, and everybody owes you something. And remember, if someone hurts you, Everyone else is just like them, and they're just waiting for the moment to hurt you too. When people talk to you, make sure you read between the lines so you know what they really think about you. Hey, they're just trying to be nice. They don't really like you. They didn't, just didn't want to be rude. So they ask you to come too. Not that they really wanted you to. Always think like this. Because remember, you're a victim. Remember. Always got to assume when you didn't get an invitation, they dissed you. Come on. You didn't believe they accidentally left you out, did you? I mean, nobody can make a mistake when it comes to thinking of you. So what? She said she was sorry. She just had to, I'm sure, because her husband made her. And here's a biggie. Don't change anything for anyone. Your annoying habits shouldn't affect people wanting to be around you. If they are a real friend, they won't mind you having bad breath and body odor and smacking your gum. Saying a cuss word here and there and being constantly late and cheating shouldn't matter. If they try to talk to you about it, just let them know that you don't think it's any of their concern. And that you don't have to change anything for real friends. And if you want to lose friends and alien people, always speak your mind. Don't be one of those people who evaluates what they say all the time. After all, if you think it, you might as well say it. People who stop and think before they speak tend to have many friends. And they accomplish a lot of things with other people. So make sure to talk about your troubles and your problems with as many people who will listen. 
Don't worry that they can't do anything to help. Just make sure they're listening. So how do you live in disagreement? I'll give it to you quickly again. Number one, major in the minors. Two, insist on always being right. Three, have a do not disturb sign on your life. Four, don't be a yes person. Don't submit to authority. Five, remember you've been hurt. Wear your feelings on your shoulders. Don't change anything for anyone and always speak your mind. And what will this guarantee you? To lose friends, alienate people, and accomplish nothing, and to be lonely. But is that what God wants for your life? Or is that a who cares what God wants kind of thing too for you? Is there an alternative? Yes. You can live in agreement. There are those who feel they have need of no one. And many say, I can get more done by myself. I don't need anybody. For those who feel this way, listen to Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. Two are better than one. Solomon, the wisest man to date, said, two are better than one. Say that. Two are better than one. Then in verse 10, he goes on to give the reasons why two are better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone that falleth, for he has not another to help him. So sad. Now you can view that as making applicable to falling physically, and it also can relate to falling spiritually and financially and relationally. He was saying two create strength, that two are stronger than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. In other words, you need people in crisis. And verse 11 says, if the two lie together, you can have heat. But how can one warm alone? It is a documented fact. People stranded survive by wrapping up together. If had been alone, could have froze to death. In other words, you can draw comfort from one another. You can have a great chance of surviving tragedy. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and, the th- and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Saying, two can defend themselves better. He was saying, two can withstand adversity better than one person standing adversity alone. You walk into a courtroom, and you try to defend yourself all by yourself. Jesus sent his disciples out in two. He knew there was strength in it that they would defend one another, that they would help one another when they faced their opposition, that they would be stronger together. The Bible doesn't say that if one can put a flight a 1,000, two can put together 10,000. Look at the increase from one to two. The reason there is so much more productivity is that two can accomplish so much more than just one. It's because when you have two, you have a partnership based upon two people being in agreement. Did you realize that one mule could pull 600 pounds, but you put two mules together, they can pull 1,800 pounds? The law of physics proves this to be true. When Christians get together and agree, things happen. Things are accomplished, such as this church. This happened through agreement. This church did not happen through disagreement. And if we were disagreeing, we'd still be on Ninth and Cedar. And that's why a lot of churches haven't went anywhere. You'll find disagreements. There's power in agreement. There's productivity. And there are accomplishments in agreement. It's each and every one of us in agreement to do our part and give our best. When they were in the upper room and 120 of them got into one accord, into agreement, the New Testament church was birthed. Moses got a partnership going through the people to such a magnitude that the giving got to be so much 
he had to tell them, hey, stop bringing in your money and your valuables. He said, you've already given more than enough, and we don't have anywhere to store it. Stop it. We dream of that day when the giving gets that great. That's why you end up, that's where you end up when people start agreeing. Agreeing or disagreeing is a choice. You can choose either one. I want to tell you something. They both have power. Live in disagreement if you don't want to accomplish anything. If you want to be lonely, alienated, or live in agreement if you want to accomplish something for the kingdom of God. Well, let me finish with the last scripture about power of two. Four or nine. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Saying, you will accomplish great things together. The power of agreement, what will it do? It will make you friends. It will create positive relationships. It will accomplish goals and dreams and destinies. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which art in heaven. What is on my heart, the Lord has laid in my heart tonight. Through sarcasm, I wanted to tell you about how, and often, too often, we can be guilty of, of being in disagreement with one another over things. And when we remain in those places, it does cause us to alienate people, to offend people, to cause divisions, causes unforgiveness, which causes schisms. And our world is full of it. But what God wants to say that cannot be in the church. That we have to learn how to conf have conflict. And God's done shoulders in our word how to have conflict. If you, if you have ought against your brother, you're to go to your brother and make things right. If you know your brother has ought against you, you're to go to him anyway. And you're to make these things right. You're to come to an agreement the body of Christ, to be united, to be strong, has got to be in agreement. The world can disagree. I even seen on the news the other night that colleges are going to have to start having classes just to te teach people how to have a debate anymore because they can't have a debate anymore without violence breaking out. They can't sit. They can't talk no more. Everybody's right and everybody else is wrong. The liberals are just... They're the only right ones anymore. Us conservatives, we got this stuff all messed up in our minds. We're, we're just deplorable people. And there was a time we could sit down, even in society, and we could talk, and we could debate, and we could agree to aggressively disagree agreeably. But I want to tell you something. When it comes to the body of Christ, and you're a Christian, and you call yourself a Christian, and you're living under crisis domain, we have a responsibility to overcome that and break that down and not have the division in the church. A divided house cannot stand. And what God's wanting to do in these last days is bring the body back together. And I always remind you, there is right and there is wrong. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. But we have the word of God that we're supposed to rightly divide the Word of God. And the truth is here. If we want to really settle a quarrel, get your Bible out. Read, and you'll find out real quick whether you were right or wrong. You'll find out really real quick it's not right for you to carry a grudge.
It's not right for you to sit in the church on one side of the church and dislike somebody on the other side of the church. It's not right. It's wrong. And there's right and wrong. But what we're coming to in a society that will eventually try to, is trying to creep into the church is there's just, you know, we're wrong. And they're all right. I want to tell you one thing I can stand in confidence because of the word of God is we're right and they're wrong. We've got it right when we're right with, with God. And when we're right with God, we'll be right with one another. If you're not right with one another, I can tell you right now you're not right with God. You get right with God and you'll get right with one another. Because God will cause you to and convict you to to make things right. Don't hold aught against your brothers or your sisters, your parents, your children. It's not right. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, it's sin. Jesus speaks highly of this in the Bible. But I'm not just here to talk to you tonight to try to bring the body together to talk about the thing of unforgiveness. But if you do have it in your heart, you got to let it go. I mean, you may need to make some phone calls tonight. You may need to go see somebody. You may need to talk to somebody before you leave here tonight. you got to get these things right in the body of Christ. We, if anybody knows how to do that right, it should be the church. And we should teach the world that when they come in here and they've been out in society and they've been indoctrinated the way the world works, that when we come in the body of Christ, they find out how it should really work how they're really supposed to treat their neighbor, how they're really supposed to treat their wife, how they're really supposed to treat their husband. Why? Because we stand on the Word of God. It's true. The infallible Word of God, unadulterated Word of God that gives us the instruction and the wisdom that we need to live godly lives. I'd like for you to stand, and what we're going to do tonight, I want to focus now back to this thing about called the power of agreement. Praying together is powerful. Agreeing in prayer together is powerful. Many scriptures will talk about that if we we'll agree together, it moves God to work on our behalf. So what I'm going to ask everybody to do, I want you to come to the altar tonight. Make your way to the altar. Wow, what a wonderful crowd. This is great.